0: The content and discussion today will obvi- obviously and necessarily engage with the issue of child sexual abuse I recognize that some listeners may be affected by this and some may find content emotionally challenging we have a range there is a range of information and resources on their website's help and support page go to Inquiry, Independent Inquiry, childsexualabuse.org.uk, that's I-I-C-S-A dot UK, and search help. Today we are following up on the last three episodes, and if you're listening for the first time to the episodes, I would encourage you to listen to the first episode in this series of victim to survivor and we've got with us Saba Kaiser who is my guest today and has been on many journeys to wellness. Her journey continues as she embarks on her journey with intention. Here today she speaks of coping mechanisms that helped her get to where she is today with courage and faith in who she is. I call her a powerful warrior who has come through so much to arrive here today. She is the Ethnic Minority Ambassador to the Independent Inquiry into Child Sexual Abuse, a position that takes her around the country in the UK to speak at events and conferences that she also co-organizes. As an ambassador, her role is to ensure the voices of ethnic minority survivors are heard and that the inquiry reflects our country's diverse culture. Sabah is of Pakistani origin, born and raised in Bristol, UK. From the age of seven, she was subject to repeated and systemic sexual abuse, let down by the police and social services until she managed to get out as a 15-year-old girl when she was made a ward of court. Throughout her traumatic formative years, Sabah consistently kept a journal which she now uses to relive her experience and inform her writing as she retells her story. This is Sabah's first delve into composing, a full-length book with the intention of publication. A Coconut Signature is the true story of a Pakistani Punjabi British girl and the way Sabah navigates experiences of cruel sexual abuse at the hands of her family. So, welcome back, Sabah. Hi. And um, what we're doing is we're looking at coping mechanisms, and we've gone through three. And we're looking um, at the imaginary world of where you went, where you transcended into that world, basically, to survive. And I know this last one for you, this last coping mechanism, is particularly very important. Um, it's a lot longer than the other ones, there's a lot more information that you're going to be sharing. So I'm going to hand this over to you so we can get started and um, here we go.
1: Thank you Lynn. Yes, um, as you have said, um, this is uh, the final uh, coping mechanism that I uh, have brought to this really important uh, podcast um, that that you have um, that you have developed and, and, and grown. Um, coping mechanism four uh, is entitled Jand Mama, which translates into English as Uncle Moon. Um, and as you said, it's quite long, so um, I will get straight into reading what I have written. My mother is now taking regular trips to Pakistan, two or three times a year. She'll travel back to her native land often staying for several weeks at a time. While she is away, her children are left in the care of my uncles and their wives, my older stepsisters. One night, during one of these periods of her absence, I lay asleep in a bunk bed in the children's room of Gisma Bhat Khan's house. There are somewhere in the region of nine children scattered around this room. Pulled together and left exposed on the top bed are two of the children and me. Although it is the dead of the night and I lay surrounded by family, I am not safe in my own bed. By this point, I have learned to notice changes in the shadows even as I sleep, in whichever room I find myself sleeping in. I become aware of my uncle almost immediately as his shadow moves closer to the door. Dark Bhavadgul Bhurewala creeps into the room swaying. He tries not to bump into the other children my uncle has started waking me more regularly i don't understand why but i know to fear him because it hurts me i resist his demands as best as i can pretending to stay asleep as he quietly tries to wake me i don't want him to hurt me i am sure i haven't done anything wrong today he lifts me from the top bunk and positions me on my feet in front of him i'm only little and i barely make it above his waist he holds me holds on my shoulders so I can't move. I am scared. I imagine my older sister has told him about something bad I have done today. Now my uncle is home from work and and is this him coming to tell me off? There is some light creeping stealthily in from the bedroom door, which is being kept very slightly ajar. I catch a glimpse of Gisma Bhat Khan. She's standing behind the door peering in. He does not say a word, she does not say a word. He moves me forcibly into position, she does not move from her position. My fear grows and I start crying. Did I do something terrible today? Is he going to hit me? My mind is racing, trying desperately to remember everything from the day, to remember the wrong thing that I did. He is very strong, stronger than me, and he uses his strength to keep me from moving away ignoring my cries then he hits me as i understand it to be life passes through me and out of me again as it has done every time before i no longer exist while this is happening to me after a while of empty nothingness standing in front of my uncle he tells me i am a good child and that i should go to sleep departing he discards me back into my bunk It is completely dark once more. The door is no longer ajar. My mouth is wounded and I need water. With no one to turn to, no one to console me. The void of nothingness returns and soothes the pain. I do not know what has just happened to me, but as with every time it does, I feel I have misbehaved and I have been punished. What did I do wrong today? I look over to the window, the curtains are not drawn. I see the moon looking down at me. I am crying, and he is crying too. The moon became a coping mechanism, personified. He is my protector and my sympathizer, the ebb and flow of the tides. He is my jandmama mama. Chand in my language means moon, and mama is the word for uncle. My mum always called the moon, Mama and she would say that Mama was sent to keep me safe. When I would walk home with my mum when the moon was out, she would hold my hand and say, Look up, there is Mama. Say hello. Hello, Mama, I would say. I missed my mum, and I wished she would come back soon. Ever since my father died when I was two years old, my mother was nervous about us sleeping alone in our own bedrooms. She was scared that someone would come in from the street to hurt us. As a result, despite us having a big house, five children, including me, slept in the smallest room, all in one double bed on the third floor, where my mother's bedroom and the bathroom were also located. This is where I meant to sleep, but I rarely sleep there anymore. From the time my uncle and older stepsister got married, they slept in an unused room on the fourth floor, I would often be chosen to sleep with them, with my uncle and my stepsister, his wife, Farhana Kera Khan, in their marital bed. For most of the night, they arrange me halfway down the bed, with my uncle facing me, a part of his body in my mouth. At my tender age, I do not know what it is, I can't breathe easily, and the air is stale. I cry out to my stepsister for assistance, I need air, why am I down here? but she does not respond to my cries, and eventually I do fall asleep. Late at night and in in a stupor, I am intermittently being bothered. I am occasionally brought to the top of the bed, and then, for a while, I feel a heavy weight on my entire body. It becomes very dark. The blackness is threatening, and I am scared. It is not the usual darkness that the night brings. It is darker than when the light is turned off. I don't know what he is doing to me, but it hurts. I hate how he breathes. I wish someone would turn the light on because then maybe he will stop. But even the little bit of radiance that comes from between the curtains, which the moon, my Chandmama, gives, also disappears for a while. Chandmama, Mama, just like me, has his eyes closed. When the sun went down and the moon came up, it emerged as my Chandmama, Mama, my Uncle Moon. I have an uncle, but I don't like him. He hurts me. So I replace him with the moon who I love. Chandmama Mama protects me and he follows me wherever I go, watching over me. But during these nights when this is happening, Chandmama and I close our eyes. My mother used to say, when bad things happen to people, it is because Allah is punishing them for being a bad person. I am an incredibly awful human being. I understood my mother. To witness sin must mean that I am sinful. So I pretend I do not see, I do not feel. Each time I close my eyes and I pretend to be asleep, like Jand Mama. I'm gonna read you another segment uh, again uh, about this coping mechanism Jand Mama, And this moves further into the story when I'm slightly older now. Um, and just after I have attempted to disclose uh, my plight, if you like, to a teacher at school, and miserably failed. Mr. Mercator walks into the main hall and sees me sitting on the windowsill. He approaches me. We examine one another, but we don't say a word. Mr. Mercator leans himself on the wall by, the, by my side, and we watch the students hurrying by. Maybe he feels what I do, a benign emptiness in observing the other children running around. Talking, laughing with one another. Going home. A chaotic commotion that evokes ease in the onlooker. Stillness is enveloping me and now I think Mr. Mercator too. When the hall is empty he turns to me and asks me if I am going to go home. I tell him I'm too scared. He doesn't ask me to explain. I am glad because I don't think I can. He asks me to wait where I am and says that he will be right back. My brain is still very loud in my head, yet my body feels incredibly still. I could not move even if I wanted to. A while later, Mr. Makato returns and tells me that a social worker is coming to take me somewhere safe to stay this evening. I don't know what he means. Is my home unsafe? I sense another change in me. This time it's the realization I've been in danger all this time from the people who should protect me. This recognition from my teacher shatters a part of my illusion, part of my mind that tells me that they don't mean to harm me and that they are sorry when they do, and that I can never be safe at home with them. What is a safe place? I've only ever known my own home, and I thought that was safe. Where is it? What does it look like? I don't want to sound stupid, so I simply nod my head. I don't want... I don't know what time it is but it is dark when the social worker arrives. The social worker stomps loudly into the main hall and marches towards the windowsill. I inspect her thoroughly. She is gigantic. I notice her long eyelashes are curly and can touch her eyebrow. For such an enormous face, she has tiny, thin lips, which she has coloured in bright red, with the same shade on her cheeks and a light green on her eyelids. I don't like her face. There is too much colour on it. She wears a red headband in her black bushy hair with a felt rose to the side. I think it looks silly. She is wearing a big flowing black dress and big red roses all over it with thick brown tights and black boots that remind me of the witch's shoes in The Wizard of Oz. After a rather curt conversation with mr mccarter she introduces herself and tells me she will be taking me to an emergency foster home what is a foster home i'm not going to ask her if i ask what foster home means she might leave without me being very short when i sit in the passenger seat of her car my head just makes it to the bottom of the window she buckles herself into the driver's seat spilling over into my side I don't like the idea of us touching, so I scrunch up as tight as I can against the car door. The social worker speaks to me. She says, I am safe. I don't feel safe. It is dark outside, and I don't know where I'm going. When I look up out of the window, I see John Mama directly above me. He is looking straight down at me in this car with this strange lady. She turns on the engine, and from then we don't share a word. Instead, she pushes a cassette into the player and turns the volume up. It is an R&B track. A man is singing about a love loss. After a short while of driving, she starts crying. She keeps crying, getting increasingly loud and shrill. Amazed at this outburst, I look across. It looks as though the steering wheel is stuck in her chest. She blows her nose and keeps on crying. Was it something I did? I turn my head away from her. I'm not going to look at her again. I feel powerless. Energy drains from my body and my eyes begin to cry without me thinking. They seem to know their role and they do it well. The social worker is crying and does not notice that she is scaring me and now I am crying too. Chandwama looks down at me and speaks to me. I hear him. Don't cry. Everything will be okay. You will be okay. I stop crying. I hold on tighter to the door handle and continue looking up at Chan Mama. The moon speaks to me again. I'm here with you. I will stay with you tonight. And you can be safe. Just like Mr. Makata said.
0: Thank you, Sarah. Yeah. Um, How old were you?
1: Uh, so uh, the, the social worker aspect, uh, part of this uh, coping mechanism. Um, I was just, I think, 13 and a half.
0: Can you tell us what happened? Where did you go after that?
1: So she took me to a foster home in the country. um, And, uh, yeah, I I stayed there for, I can't remember exactly how long, uh, but for a short while. um, And then I was taken back home. Um, where the abuse continued. Um, there was an attempt for a false arranged marriage. Uh, I was taken to Pakistan, um, but I became desperately ill, brought back to this country. There was more abuse. Um, and then uh, in that period I also ran away several times. And then yeah, finally I was taken into care again when I was about 14 and 14 or 14 and a half and then I was made a ward of court at 15.
0: By this time, had your mother been informed by the police or social services? Had she been informed of the accusations that you had made? Did she know?
1: They They had had conversations of some kind. What those conversations were, I do not know and I was never told. But bearing in mind, as I said before, Um, In my own way, in the language that I had, which was extremely limited, uh, the knowledge that I had, extremely limited, um, they never believed me, Uh, they they, they never believed me. you know, some would, some would read this and, and some would, you know, listeners would be listening and they will say, come on, so at the age of 13, you still didn't know what sex was. No, I didn't. Uh, people who are listening have to understand. And I say have to because, you know, cultural awareness uh, is, is a vital element to the cohesion of a successful society. And... The cultural uh, parameters in which I existed uh, meant that we weren't. Sex education was not permitted. We didn't learn about how our bodies worked. Uh, no knowledge of sex. In fact, in my home, uh, on TV, if you know, during a program, if there was any any form of kissing, an adult. Uh, would would rush towards the TV to, to turn the channel um, so even at the age of 13 I was extremely naive and still did not really know what was happening to me
0: When you say that you were in a room with so many other children when when the, the abuse would happen by your uncle were any of the other children affected or did they know did they wake up and just turned the other eye or went back to sleep
1: so um, that was just one instance that I had I had included in this particular story uh, a coping mechanism um, that wasn't a norm that uh, other children would be in the room um, and again I can't uh, comment on what the other children, uh, did or did not see, and how they would have been affected. Um, I, that was just the one incident uh, throughout um, my childhood, uh, where yeah, I, I was woken up and and, uh, and abused in in a room with other children.
0: So your coping mechanism here being the moon, and we all know that you know the moon has mystical powers. So that must have been very powerful for you to make that connection and hold on to the little bit of um, comfort that you had knowing from your mum telling you that you were protected by Chant Mama. So Absolutely, mm.
1: yeah. Um, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a link that my mother initially made between the moon and, and myself and it's a connection that i have retained it's a link that i have retained throughout my life um from from the from before the abuse began until this point there is a continuous thread in my life and it is Mama. um and i suppose perhaps uh subconsciously um it's a link that i retained retained with my mother um I think if I were to talk about regret and and mixed in with that, a feeling of loss, uh, an occasion, anger, um, and it would be the loss of my mother, more so than the loss of anything else, which, you know, a child loses a lot. Mm. Uh, it's crippling. But losing my mother has been it's not something i can ever get back
0: do you think that losing because how old were you when she died
1: uh my mother only died um in my late 30s but when i became a ward of court um in order for my own survival I had to shut all the doors to my past. You know, remember, social services didn't believe me. Uh, I had an interview with the police, and um, uh, they—it was—I <laughs> have—I haven't actually got a nice word to, to use. Um, it was useless. Um, and then, of course, the teacher thing happened as well, um, which I spoke about in, in one of the previous episodes. Um, I had to shut all the doors. I shut the doors to my culture. I shut the doors to my religion. I shut the doors to my family and to my community. I shut the doors to my past. And again, that was another coping mechanism, a survival instinct that took hold of me. And as a child, I had realized that that is what I had to do to protect myself because no adult was coming to protect me so there was no contact between my mother and i until way into my mid-30s and we probably had about a year and a half um and then she died um so we didn't really get a chance to um and even in that year and a half i saw her only a few times um we didn't really get a chance to Repair anything, talk about anything. Um, she died, so it was too late.
0: Do you feel that you had closure with her? No.
1: No. I think I was still too scared. Even though at that age I, I knew now the words, I, I, I had the knowledge. And I always, you know, I would replay in my mind how that conversation would go with my mum what the room would look like what would what would i say what would she say what would be the expressions on my face and the expressions on her face and 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 how it would all play out and i would have different scenarios but when i was in the presence of my mother i was unable to do that
0: so in the presence of your mother you kind of shrunk back to the child yeah possibly detached from the adult and became the child again Sabah, thank you so much for, for this. Um, we've got one last episode, and that last episode is going to be about where you are now. Yes. So what what we're going to do is we're going to really finalize these these episodes um, and condense them into the story, because it is a story that you know is your story. Right. Absolutely. It's a story that we want people to to listen to. Um, but where you've gone since then, where you are right now, and I think this is important for listeners to come back and to hear, you know, what happened and how you got to get to where you are today. So thank you very much. And I'll see you in the next episode.
1: Thank you, Lynn. I look forward to it.